God, help us as we read these scriptures together. Bring your understanding and reveal your truth. Let us open our minds, hearts, and souls to all that these words of life offer us. We long to be continually challenged, transformed, and renewed by your word. May we hear your voice of life as we read and draw close to you. Amen. Our scripture today is from the book of Acts, chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading some selected verses. So hear these words. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas went Excuse me. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. No, your eyes don't deceive you. I am wearing a t-shirt again. It'll be a theme this summer. Uh, we had a number of students, 15 people, go off to camp at Lakeview up in Palestine. And we had uh, three counselors, 12 youth. It was a fantastic time. If you went to camp or you wrote a letter or provided a care package, just wave your hand for me so we can say thanks so much for all of those who went. We had adults who went and gave up time of work and vacation. It was wonderful to have a great experience at camp. We were able to take some care packages up on Wednesday, and it was a great experience. Pastor Peter was up on Monday teaching a local licensed pastor school. Uh, and so we were all up at Lakeview this past week, and it was very good. 
Also, one more thing before I start. You'll notice the words that Dale were reading were different than the words on the screen. Isn't that fascinating? It's because the Bible is not written in English. Just a point of fact, in case you were wondering. It's always good to have different translations and wrestle with that and think about how that text uh, shapes and forms our life today. Uh, but I'm wondering if you've ever been stuck. Like, have you ever come to that moment in your life or that crossroads where you didn't know which way to go? This is usually right before you discern which way to go. It's like you're stuck and you're like, ugh, bad choice, bad choice, bad choice. Or good choice, good choice, good choice. I don't know if you've ever been stuck. I don't know how you discern that as a person. Maybe you've been stuck in your vocational life and you're like, starting base salary of fill in the blank. <laughs> and that's a process of your discernment. Um, or maybe you've, we've been stuck as a, as a corporation before. Maybe you've been stuck as a church before. There's lots of times that we get stuck in our life. At one point in time in my life, I was definitely stuck. I've been working at a historical United Methodist Church in Cincinnati, uh, doing youth ministry there for about three years and had no plans to leave when my wife got a job offer in Kearney, Nebraska in Houston, Texas. And Kearney's about what it sounds like. Sorry for those of you from Kearney, Nebraska. You're from Kearney! Yes! <laughs> right? It's about what it sounds right. And you're in Lake Jackson. So we, so we too came to Texas <laughs> and set up shop in Houston. Uh, we, I had no intention of leaving uh, that, that church and that ministry. Uh, but coming to Texas was a time when I got stuck. I didn't know what to do. So I do what everyone does. I decided to go into the finance sector. I studied the Series 7, Series 66. I became licensed in life, health, and annuities with Thriving Financial for Lutherans. And I was doing very well. In fact, I said I'm going to study for the Series 7, and I began doing that. But I began to develop a really bad case of insomnia uh, and really became depressed for a number of weeks. And I was said, okay, God, uh, you know what? If I, if I fail the next test, I'll go back into ministry. Well, I passed. And I was like, um, okay, God, if I fail the next set of exams, I'll go into ministry. And then I passed. Um, I was using my tests as sort of this litmus test. And I was not having good success at meeting my own criteria for getting unstuck. And my wife uh, had a conversation with me one night and said, Josh, do you think you're struggling because you should be in ministry? And I said, yeah, honey, I, I think that's it. The next day I quit my job and I enrolled in seminary. And here I am before you doing what I feel called to. Oftentimes when I think about getting unstuck, I think about where my passions align with my equipment, sort of how I can do the work, my skill set, where I'm most alive. The problem was I was uh, pretty good at doing math and running equations and looking at stock markets, uh, but it wasn't my passion. So I was still stuck. I couldn't quite find that alignment. If you're just joining us, we've been in a series on Acts. We've been looking at selected uh, stories and chapters and verses within this big book of Acts written by Luke. It's sort of his follow-up to his gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Acts is sort of this historical telling of the early church. It begins with Jesus, who's resurrected from the grave, walking around with his disciples, appearing to hundreds of people, and having conversations, and talking about sort of what the task is before them. 
It's to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth way over there. And you'll remember that he says, wait. Wait for power to come on high before going out. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. The next chapter is chapter 2 of Acts, and Pentecost happens, and the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples, and they are empowered to go about their work. A whole bunch of other things happen. Acts is a big book. Nod your head. You're following along. There's some martyrs. There's some other appointments of other uh, deacons and elders. And we come across this strange story that we encountered last week about Philip and an Ethiopian man, a man from the ends of the earth, way over there. And he baptizes him, and a church starts up in Ethiopia. And this week, we encounter the first church meeting. How exciting is that? The church council, literally, is called to Jerusalem, and we are sort of uh, left like, who are all the main characters, and what's going on? So as we take stock of our passage, there's a map of the Mediterranean and you'll see Antioch is right above the word Syria. It's in modern-day Turkey. It's way up there. There is no major railroad. There is no uh, charter jets. There, you, can't, you can take a, a ship. It's pretty slow going. And so Paul and Barnabas have a conversation in Antioch. And why are they in Antioch? Because they've been sent to go talk to the Gentiles. And we will remember that Gentiles are non-Jews. And they're having fantastic success talking with the Gentiles, and they sort of stumble upon this problem. Uh, they uh, wonder if they need to become Jewish first before they decide to follow Jesus. And the, the route to becoming Jewish involves a little surgery. <laughs> involves a little uh, procedure. And they decide to call a church council meeting. And they gather the elders together. Where? In Jerusalem. They walk all the way back and they say, we're having this fantastic success with the Gentiles. Just one problem. All the guys are wondering what they should do regarding this Mosaic law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible. 613 laws should we keep all of those before we decide to follow Jesus? And they say, that's a stumper. Good question. And they engage in something that looks a lot like holy conferencing. I'm going to talk about that towards the end as we hop in here into verse 1 and 2. You have Paul and Barnabas and the wrestling with circumcision. We need to remember that Christianity comes out of this Jewish context. They are steeped in their ideas of law and holding to these certain practices. They have customs that revolve around how they dress. They have customs that revolve around how they eat. They have customs that revolve what they do on the weekends. They have customs that what they do on holy days. They are steeped in this law and this tradition. And it is out of that tradition that Christianity emerges. We often forget that Jesus was a good Jew. And out of that, this Jesus movement catches fire. And the Gentiles are like, that's amazing news that God would come down and be a part of us. And they said, it is amazing news. You might need to become Jewish first. We don't know. Let's have a conversation about it. 
So a meeting is called in verse 4, and this is a who's who of the early church when they gather. You have Peter, yes, the Peter, yes, the apostle, probably the first pope if you want to go that far. This is the guy that Jesus said, on you I will build my church. You have Peter, you have James, the brother of Jesus. And then you have Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament in the future. And you have Barnabas, the encourager, coming alongside him saying, we can do this. This is a who's who of the early church gathering. All the other disciples are most likely there as well. They're not mentioned in the text. And they have this discussion about what they should do with the Gentiles who are God-fearers. And they want to become Christian. And I love verse 28. This is what it says. I love verse 28. It says, For it has seemed good, seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than the essentials. Isn't that fascinating? They have a meeting, they listen to God, and then they come out of that meeting saying nothing more. These are the minutes. These are the minutes of the meeting. So it seems good to us not to impose a whole lot on you, except for these couple things. And they list those couple things. They say, abstain from this. That you should abstain from the food that's been sacrificed to idols, that's been strangled with blood in it, and from sexual immorality. If you keep from these, you'll do well. Farewell. Dismissed, right? Next meeting will be in 300 years. <laughs> that's the first council of... It's crazy. It's crazy that that's their minutes. That that's the list of what's going on. That they're abstain from these things. Can't you see, though, that the early church was stuck? That they didn't know what to do because they, they were all Jewish. They were steeped in Torah. They were steeped in law. They were steeped in tradition. They'd been following Jesus, who was like their rabbi and their teacher. And then all these people over there who aren't Jewish, want to be a part of this Jesus movement. And they don't know what to do, so they come together and they have a conversation. They listen to each other. The text says that when Peter speaks, everyone is silent. When Paul and Barnabas, who really in this case represent the opposition, speak, everyone is silent. And they listen to the words that Paul and Barnabas have. James speaks as an apostle, the brother of Jesus, and says it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that we should not burden you with anything extra. We don't want anything to get in the way between them coming into a life-giving relationship with God the Father. And so who are we to put things in the way of people who want to come to God? And so how do we know that they're stuck? They're having this very conversation, and they're listening to one another. If we take a step back and we remember what Pastor Peter talked about at the beginning of this series, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. The council is taking place in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Judea. Judea is the surrounding neighborhood 
of Jerusalem. And Samaria, that's the other side of the railroad tracks. (laughs) It's the other neighborhood. (laughs) And to the ends of the earth. They're stuck because their vision statement has been accomplished. They just baptized the guy from Ethiopia. He went and started a church at the ends of the earth. And they go, oh, we've pretty much evangelized the known world. Now what do we do? And Paul says, how about this? I'll go to the end of the Roman Empire. I'll go to Gaul, which is modern day Spain and Portugal. And I'll set up churches over there. It's interesting when you read ahead, uh, you know, a couple thousand years later, when colonists arrive in places like India and Korea, there's already Christian churches there, and they can't explain it. It's because the disciples are faithful to the word of Christ, and they go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's why the early church is stuck. They begin to see that maybe they accomplished the vision. And now what do we do? How do we listen to one another? Who's in this movement? Who's involved in all of this? They engage in holy conferencing. And there are a number of questions that they themselves have to wrestle with and answer. And I believe that we as a church are called to answer today as well. When you engage in holy conferencing, whenever you're stuck, whenever you're working for Thriving Financial for Lutherans and you're making good money doing stocks, but your heart's not alive because you're not doing what God's called you to do, you can ask these three questions. Ask these questions when you need to engage in some holy conferencing. One, who am I? Or who are we? Two, who is our neighbor? Or who is outside the door? And three, what is God calling me to do? Or what is God calling us to do? Because the early church was wrestling with those three questions. Can you hear it in the conversation? The first one, who are we? Are we Jews who need to follow the 613 laws and need to do the little surgery? Or are we Christ followers? Who are we? What is the core of our identity? Are we Jews who happen to follow Jesus? Or are we Christians? And you can hear the answer. It seems good to us in the Holy Spirit that nothing should come between the Father and others. We are Christians first. Second, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? They cannot satisfy this. They cannot go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth if they don't know who their neighbor is. They can't love the Samaritan if they don't know who their neighbor is. They can't baptize the Ethiopian if they don't take time to listen and guide him. That is way, uh, one way that they discern who their neighbor is. Which leads to the third one, is what is God calling us to do? God is calling us to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, not to just the Jews. You can see it broadening. They're drawing the circle, the circle wider still, pulling people in still to this following of Christ. And so the early, church, the early church answers those questions. They say that we are people not defined by the law, but we're defined by love. Who is my neighbor? It is everyone in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. People on the other side of the tracks. People who don't look like us. And what has God called us to do? God has called us to walk alongside people and guide them in understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. So the next time that you're stuck, 
I encourage you to ask those questions. Who am I? Who's my neighbor? And what has God called me to do? And then listen for the power of the Holy Spirit. And it might seem good to you that God's calling you in a direction. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.